Well, welcome to uh, Grant's Interest Rate Radio. I welcome um, Grant's subscribers and uh, Grant's subscribers-to-be. Please know that we are glad to have you, and, uh, and indeed, we would like to hear from you directly. Please write us with questions you might want us to address on these broadcasts to uh, editor at grantspub.com. That's ed- editor at grantspub.com. And let me see, as this uh, do-it-yourself commercial proceeds, I would urge you also, if you of a mind to uh, partake of almost daily grants, which is our a daily blast on the markets. We uh, like to think that we are uh, adding some value to what has happened and uh, speculating a little bit constructively on what may happen. So that's a few hundred words of grants every day. And just uh, log into the website and, I don't know, enjoy. What else, uh, Evan? We have, uh, we have a conference coming up in October. You can sign up for that too. In fact, today you can make it a special day by subscribing to grants and by reserving a seat at the conference. Yeah, be a pretty good day. Um, with me, uh, as you have heard me indicate, is the great Evan Lorenz, the deputy editor of grants and uh, analyst, uh, I was going to say par excellence, I'm going to say non-pari, and non-pari being a French term will introduce one of the topics of today's podcast, Evan, which is the goings-on in France. Now, um, I can't uh, pretend to be an authority on that great country sitting here in lower Manhattan, uh, but I, um, I do have uh, some data which I would like to share with you. This, this strikes me as absolutely crazy. So as you know, ladies and gentlemen, there is upcoming imminently in France uh, an election that may just wind up pitting, possibly, if all goes well, or as the case may be, as according to preference, badly in the first round elections, which I think are coming up on Sunday, if all goes badly, let us say, on that election, we may see a runoff uh, between Marine Le Pen on the one hand and uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon on the other, he being on the left hand and Marine being on the right hand. Now, Marine stands for approximately the exit of France uh, from the euro and the uh, ultimate restoration of the uh, rather unmourned French franc. Uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon stands for uh, basically confiscation of uh, income. However, that was uh, that would be uh, some mitigation of that uh, threat because you work less in exchange for 90% t- marginal tax rate. So that's that program. Uh, so, Evan, uh, this, this is, this is a, a question to an answer. I know you know because you have furnished me with the answer, but would you care to guess how French securities are priced in expectation of the possibility of this existential threat to uh, uh, French financial stability and indeed to the euro? Given the breathless coverage from uh, analysts talking about how the French bonds have been selling off, I'd guess the two-year bond is roughly negative. Correct. As we speak, the French two-year bond is quoted at... Uh, Minus uh, 33.6 basis points. Uh, a disastrous sell-off from levels that probably more closely uh, align with uh, the yield, uh, two-year yield in Austria. That's minus 65 basis points. Or indeed, Switzerland, which is 100 basis points negative. France is uh, merely 33.6 basis points negative. So that's the two-year note. The f- five-year is, is barely positive, and the, and the 10-year French security is um, 93.5 basis points. So this is how the market, uh, doctored as it is by the European Central Bank, prepares for this existential political threat. I, I, this is just, to me, is just nuts. 
Yeah, uh, today the uh, Japanese 10-year bond shot into below zero uh, percent for the first time since November, on fears of uh, you know the election in France. Uh, so, Evan, this morning I attended a session at the Council on Foreign Relations here in Manhattan, and uh, the speaker uh, was a, an, uh, an eminent French technocrat named Benoit Couré. He's a member of the executive board of the European Central Bank, and Mr. Couré. Uh, seemed very sure of himself. He insisted that, uh, he didn't insist, he asserted that tail risk is off the table in Europe. Uh, European Central Bank has disposed of the risk of deflation. Um, it has bought bonds judiciously in uh, the interest of French growth. I asked him, uh, quoting the wise Frenchman of the 19th century, uh, Friedrich Bastiat. I said, uh, Friedrich Bastiat said, apropos of government policy, that uh, there is that which is seen and that which is unseen. And that which is seen in Europe now is at least uh, some level of positive economic growth and uh, you know some level of financial prosperity, all very good. But I said, uh, Mr. Courbet, uh, I said, what might constitute the unseen adverse consequences of these policies, which feature, as readers of grants know, rates of growth in the French balance sheet, uh, French in the European Central Bank balance sheet, bordering on 40, 40% per annum. What might be the adverse consequences, I asked Mr. Coré, and he said, uh, well, um, and he enumerated some rather bland possibilities of uh, disappointment. But he did not mention the systematic manipulation of yields and the suppression of the evidence of risk through the suppression of yields. And um, I thought it was a rather extraordinary display of uh, sang-froid, to use another French expression. Now, Evan, I know that you have been studying the, uh, the complacency of central bankers on the North American continent. Will you care to report what you have found? Yeah, the, the Fed in its March minutes basically came out and said, we're going to continue raising rates. And in the second half of 2017, we're going to actually begin shrinking our balance sheet. We'll run off our securities portfolio. And in a survey the Wall Street Journal did last week of economists, most economists seemed to agree with that uh, sentiment. This week, Stanley Fisher, who's the vice chairman of the Fed, uh, gave a speech that was a bit remarkable for its blasé attitude towards risk and towards the unintended consequences of central bank action. He said, note the lack of market reaction when we released our minutes, nobody was shocked that we're going to sell off our securities portfolio. This means we're doing everything right and we'll be able to, um, you know, reduce our $4.4 trillion. Well, you know, this, this strikes me as remarkable on, on uh, uh, several counts, one of which is that the Fed, I say, evidences a deep institutional suspicion of markets and of price discovery. And I say this uh, uh, on the evidence of the post-2007 extraordinary, now rather conventional, Fed actions to raise up asset prices and uh, horse around interest rates. So the Fed, on the evidence of the past almost 10 years, has uh, shown uh, uh, a certain contempt, or at least uh, it's a loaded word, disdain, or... Uh, judges itself wiser, I would say, in setting prices that markets might be in discovering them. And let us pause here, Evan, and, uh, and, uh, and note that it will soon be 10 years that uh, these extraordinary policies were put in place with the, I think, with the, with the explicit promise, certainly with the implicit one, that they would be short-lived and emergency measures only. 
They remind me a little bit of the uh, temporary World War II housing called Quonset Huts, still standing 60 or 65 years later on certain state college campuses. Evan, as you were saying, Stanley Fisher is, uh, is, uh, is at peace. He's at peace, and he, he even asked himself, can the Fed be too transparent, uh, too predictable? Um, but, uh, but on the Fed and the markets, uh, Dudley, uh, the, the president of the New York Fed, has come out multiple times and said the, the markets are just one tool in order to affect Fed policy. We've flooded the system with so many excess reserves through three, uh, three rounds of quantitative easing that we can't really move short-term rates that easy. But we right, can, so he, we can he, influence market prices. Yeah, and, he is making our point that, yeah. uh, that, that uh, money itself has become an instrument of national policy, of course the value of money and a mere tool in the so-called tool chest, which phrase I find cringe-making, and, uh, and that the stock market and the bond market are likewise instruments of uh, monetary uh, policy rather than, say, places where people try to discover value. It is, Evan, I'm doing very well to keep my temper, but you please do proceed. The, the question is, uh, what, what can go wrong? Um, right now, Global bankers and their cohorts see a world that's doing pretty well. The IMF came out this week and raised its uh, estimates for 2017 global growth to 3.5%. Last year, the uh, agency believes the world grew at 3.1%. This week, um, China announced that first quarter G GDP grew at 6.9%, which is a two-year high. Would uh, those be audited data, Evan? <laughs> they, they would not be audited. Oh. Uh, and it's also remarkable that China can report first quarter uh, data so fresh off uh, off the books. The U.S. won't even try making its first estimate uh, for another few weeks now. But as we noted in our last issue, it does seem China did pretty well in the first quarter. Uh, and not just from official statistics, but there's actually an index that tries to measure Chinese factory activity from satellite photos. And from looking, you know, several thousand feet above the earth, it looks like China actually was pretty busy. In big, the data, big, big data, Evan. Big data. Big data. Um, on the way up of that giant chet, uh, credit bubble, we saw the prices of commodities and uh, basically anything Chinese people can speculate uh, surge. Uh, the easiest to look at is uh, iron ore, uh, which you know went from a bear market in the first part of uh, 2016 to an absolute bull market uh, by the end of the year. However, in the last month and a half or so, iron ore sold off pretty hard. Um, that Chinese credit bubbles run into a couple of issues that we detailed in the last issue. And Chinese regulators are getting a bit concerned that speculation has gotten too ahead of itself and is now risking uh, the, the economy itself. So there have been a crackdown on lending. There's been a crackdown on uh, banks. And we've seen commodities sell off. The, the reason why this is important is approximately three quarters of the growth the IMF is expecting this year comes from uh, developing economies as opposed to developed economies. Most developing economies are tied into the commodity cycle. So as China was stimulating its growth and building, you know, redundant empty apartment buildings or office buildings, uh, it led to a massive draw-in of iron ore um, aggregates to build concrete from around the world. And this boosted global growth in the developed uh, developing um, economies. If this is on the down cycle, it could mean that the rosy expectations that the IMF, the Fed, and just about every other central bank out there has are wrong, in which case um, the, the Fed might have to backtrack. Uh, it, in Stanley Fisher asks, is the Fed too, uh, too predictable? And the answer might be, yeah. Evan, I... I uh... I gave my uh, take on the situation in France a few minutes ago, uh, uh, not being in France, but here you are in America. How do you see American enterprise at this point? Well, it doesn't seem like the U.S. is going into a recession, uh, pretty far from it, but it does seem like 
growth is just really, really anemic, despite the fact that consumer sentiment's kind of at a 15-year or so high and business sentiment's also very toppy. Um, any kind of look at real activity, it, it's not shrinking, but it's just disappointing. New housing starts are at their lowest level since November. Um, auto sales are kind of peeling off. Uh, factory production's at its biggest contraction in several months. I, I mean, nothing is showing that the U.S. is kind of going into uh, to reverse, but it does seem like growth is kind of tailing down. The Atlanta Fed's GDP Now model, which is trying to predict what's happening in the first quarter, now thinks that uh, the first quarter growth is going to be at half a percent, 50 basis points. Well, uh, as the man says, we'll know more in four or five years. Uh, in the meantime, I would like to encourage you listeners to this podcast to uh, you know, to keep listening and also to uh, suggest to us people you like, might like to hear from on, on these broadcasts. Russell Napier, uh, a very, very distinguished observer of the emerging markets, is going to come in and see us on Friday, I think, Evan. And uh, we'll talk to him and that'll be great. And um, we are booking guests as well for the next couple of weeks. So please, uh, if you have an idea of someone you'd like to hear about or from, do write in to editor at grantspub.com. Uh, subscribe to Grants, book the conference. What else? Um, I guess that'll do it for now. But uh, Evan, thank you. And uh, we look forward to doing this again soon. Thank you and goodbye. 